I mean, that is the best entrance music I've ever had to walk up and, and get to speak in front of people. That's band, I mean, they, they were pretty pumped about getting to do that. So let's not act like they sacrificed. Let's, uh, <laughs> thank you, band. That was amazing. Hey, so uh, for those of you who were here last week, you might be figuring out that where we're going this week as to why uh, we started off with music like that. We are in the second week of a discussion on uh, why superheroes can't save us, why they can do some amazing things. And I mean, obviously we know that the movies and things are made up. I hope I didn't spoil that for anybody. But even in the movies, they can do some amazing things but they can't really save us. You know, they can save us from the big, you know, alien snake-looking thing that comes out of the, the hole in the sky in the Marvel movies, but they can't save us from ourselves. Superhero movies have been the, the highest-grossing movies over the past couple of decades. And in my time in youth ministry, I got to learn why those are so exciting, and, and I enjoy them myself. So, we decided, you know, why not, uh, with the help of a guy named Todd Miles who wrote a book called Superheroes Can't Save You, why not use them to talk about some, some real truths that we can pull out of things? And so last week, we jumped into a discussion on what we named the Superman heresy. And if you were in a, a study group, you got into some, hopefully, some deeper discussion about this. And in the Superman heresy, which actually goes by the name docetism, uh, there is the belief that Jesus was fully man or fully God, but he was not human. And so we discussed last week as to why that doesn't work, why Jesus had to be human, and we looked at some of the evidence that points, points us uh, to the understanding that Jesus was indeed human, and the gospel wouldn't work otherwise. It was a human problem, and it needed a human to, to be willing to take that step to say, yep, we've messed up. And we need to do something about this. And so Jesus came and he fulfilled that for us. We defined the idea of a heresy because we know that it can easily become one of those things that we go out and, you know, it's, it's real easy to decide that this person is a heretic and what, it, you know, people look at us and they're like, who says you get to make that decision? That sounds very judgmental when you call people heretics. And, and really, we just looked at this word heresy and we defined it as a bad idea about Jesus. That's what it really comes down to. A heresy is a bad idea about Jesus. And I'm here to confess to you that I have had and still have, I know I do, some bad ideas about who Jesus is. My hope and my prayer is that I won't continue to just accept those bad ideas and just be like, well, that's what I believe, and I'm just going to roll with it. But instead, to actually try and get to know him and get to know who he really is so that I don't walk around with these ideas. And that's what we're doing over the course of the next several weeks. And as we head up to Easter is so that we can sing songs like Waymaker where, you know, there's those lines in there, that is who you are. That is who you are. Well, when I say that, when I'm singing that, I want to actually know who he is when I'm saying that's who you are and not be saying, hey, that's who you are. And he's sitting there going, no, I'm not. Like, that's not at all who I am. And I'm trying to tell you who I am. And that's not it. Well, so we looked at the Superman heresy. We looked at docetism. This morning, we're going to kind of look at the, the antithesis, if you will, to Superman. He's the guy that's been in that playful debate in youth ministry or just in conversations with superhero fans as to who is the better superhero, Superman, 
who has all of these incredible powers, who can fly, who can take bullets and be just fine, who can, who can you know, faster than a speeding bullet, all these types of things, or is it Batman who has a lot of really cool toys. Now, just so you know, I have always landed on the Superman side. Anybody else, like, if you're deciding between Superman and Batman, it's Superman all the way. Anybody? Wow, that's disappointing. I thought I'd get more people on that one. I mean, are you all Batman people? Batman? And the rest of you just don't care. Okay, that's good to know. So Superman, you know, he's got all these amazing powers. I'm like, well, that's a superhero. Batman, Batman's just a dude. Like, he's just a guy like you and I, which is one reason why people love Batman. He's just a man. We can relate to Batman. If you know his story, and yes, I realize it's all made up, but if you know his story, well, the first thing you know is that the origin story is very different compared to whether or not you watched Batman Begins or you watched the old school Batmans where you had all the whams and the pals and all that kind of stuff coming up on your screen and, and he was wearing like super weird looking tights and all that kind of stuff. So it depends where you come along in the Batman story. But generally speaking, Batman began as a little boy named Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne was the son of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Uh, which is just one more connection between Batman and Superman. They both had the, you know, their moms had the same name. And if you watch the Superman versus Batman movie several years ago, people just, they had a blast making fun of that scene where it was like, Martha! And we're like, oh, wait a second, our moms share a name? We can be friends now. And, and you know, so, so people had fun with that. But, but anyway, he's the, he's the son of Thomas and Martha Wayne, which are this incredibly wealthy couple who live in the city of Gotham City. Gotham City is a, it's like take Chicago crime levels and multiply them by 10 because Gotham City also has people who are like just biological warfare is a just natural thing that goes on in Gotham City and, and all of these, you know, nasty crimes all the time. But Thomas and Martha have made it their goal with their money that they have and with their influence that they have to make a difference in Gotham City. And not just by throwing money at it, but by actually doing something to try and change this mindset that Gotham has. But the mindset of Gotham catches up to them. When, depending on the story that you watch, the three of them are at a show. Thomas and Martha and Bruce, they're at a show, and they go out into the alley or the street or wherever it is, depending on the story that you're watching or you're reading or whatever, and they run into somebody in that alleyway who is absolutely desperate. Somebody who, who hasn't been reached yet by some of the things that Thomas and Martha are trying to do to make life better. And this desperate person is at that point where the only way that he feels like he can put bread on his table and, and water to drink is by stealing from other people. And over the course of this interaction, he pulls out a gun and he kills Thomas and Martha right in front of Bruce. And Bruce's story drastically changes at this point. This is one of the reasons why people connect with Batman. They connect with this story because it's full of hardship that he had to overcome. It's full of these trials and these temptations that as a man he had to overcome. But as, as Bruce grows up, he goes off and he joins this, uh, this association or this group called the League of Shadows. 
And as he's with the League of Shadows, they train him in all sorts of different types of fighting techniques so that, so that he can be the ultimate fighting specimen. And in fact, he gets so good that he somehow, in the movie Batman Begins that came out, I think in like my college days, that might have been a little bit later, I don't remember, but somehow he gets so good that he takes on the entire League of Shadows all by himself and beats all of them up, even though they're all supposed to be as good as he is. But, you know, we won't worry about the realism of it. But he gets so good at, this fight, at these fighting techniques that they've trained him in, but they also train him how to overcome his own mind and how to overcome his own fears that he has. As a child, those fears were the, you know, they went to the extent of he was afraid of bats. And so they train him how to overcome his fear that these bats would bring in. Kind of like, you know, Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes. And he has this irrational fear of snakes. Or, or my beautiful and awesome lovely wife and her, her rational fear of spiders that she has passed down to my children. So thank you very much for that one, Sarah. He would train them how Raj Al Ghul in this League of Shadows would train people how to overcome these fears so that you wouldn't be crippled when this fear comes along and, and encounters you. And so Bruce Wayne is trained to be this incredible physical specimen. And I don't mean looks-wise incredible physical specimen, but I mean his fighting prowess is just incredible. He can take a punch like nobody else and keep on fighting back. He can fall down three stories and land on a car, and yet somehow by the time anybody gets there, he's gone because he's already recovered. I mean, incredible physical specimen, but also incredible mental specimen at being able to overcome these mental obstacles that come along. As you look at his story, he's incredibly intelligent and he's incredibly creative. You know, the Batcave wasn't something that he could, you know, bring in some people to design. He had to design it himself because it had to be a secret. The extent of his help was Alfred the butler. That was it. Other than that, he built it all himself. And so, this mental acumen and this incredible intelligence and the ability to overcome fear and overcome physical limitations. And on top of that, he's incredibly wealthy. If you watch the Justice League that came out several years ago, there's an interaction between Barry Allen, which is the Flash, and Bruce Wayne, which we know is Batman. And Barry Allen just kind of asks him, because, you know, he's, in, he's really fast, and they're talking to another guy who's got some other power, and, and it's... Uh, what do you bring to the table? And Bruce Wayne looks at him and goes, I'm rich. Meaning, I'm bringing all the toys to the table. You know, in the, the classic movie, the Joker asks the question of, where does he get all these incredible toys? Well, he gets them because he has incredible wealth. And he wraps all of these things up into one incredible human being. But, no matter how incredible he is, Batman is still just a human being. He cannot, without his suit on, get shot and be just fine. He cannot, without his suit on, fly from one building to the next or without some of those toys that he pulls out of his belt that who knows how he gets all those things in one belt. He cannot, without his car or his plane, travel at incredible speeds. He is just a human being, which is what many people believe about Jesus, that he was just, and the key word there with, with this belief is he was just an incredible human being. Not is, because human beings die, 
and when they die, they cease to exist. Jesus was just a human being. He was incredible. And he did some awesome things. But so did some magicians, and magicians still do. I mean, you read through the very, the very Bible where we read the stories about Jesus, and you go back in our book several hundred pages, or you go back several thousand years, and you run across these people called the Israelites who are coming out of Egypt, and there's these diviners who work for Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, who also do some incredible things. So he does some incredible things, but so do other people. And he taught some incredible things, but so do other people. Martin Luther King had some great ideas that he taught. We've had past presidents that have had great ideas that they've taught. Men and women over the course of history have taught some incredibly important things. But they're still just people. About 200 years ago, a man named Friedrich Schirmacher, I'm probably saying that wrong, Friedrich Schirmacher realized that his friends were beginning to walk away from the idea of Jesus. They were beginning to walk away from following him because he just didn't line up with reason. He didn't line up with the science that they believed about people and what people could accomplish. There's no way he could do those things. It would just be silly to believe that he was God incarnate. And so Friedrich looked at his friends walking away and he decided, he adopted an idea that would maybe make Jesus a little bit less offensive to these people who were walking away. And the idea of liberalism, as we know it anyway, was born. Now when I say liberalism, I am not talking about politics. I wanna make that very clear. We are not talking about politics this morning. We are talking about liberalism in the, in the case of what we believe about Jesus. And in liberalism, they believed, and still do, that Jesus was an incredible human, but he was still just a human. Now to be a little bit safer this morning and as you're walking around and you're talking to people and, and you're talking about bad ideas about Jesus and you say, yeah, liberalism is a bad idea about Jesus and they immediately connect that to politics and they think that you're telling them that they have bad ideas about Jesus, we're just gonna call this the Batman heresy. Because Jesus was like Batman, they would claim. He's an incredible human being but he's still just a human being, which works out really well. Because if that's the case, then our faith can be nothing more than a feeling. You know, now we can walk around and as you're trying to explain, why do you believe the things that you believe? Well, I believe because, you know, for some of us, it's, it's we had that moment when we were sitting there in a church pew or we were at church camp or we were having a conversation with somebody and we were just overwhelmed with this belief, with this feeling that Jesus is who people say that Jesus is and he's the one that I need to give my life to. But, but it's still just a feeling and if you don't have that feeling, then that's okay. You don't need to worry about it. You know, it would explain some of the, why some people have this really emotional moment where they decide that they're going to turn their life to Jesus and the tears are flowing down their face. And then you have people like myself who I don't have that moment that I look back on and, you know, the tears were just flowing and I turned my life over. Well, that makes sense because it's just a feeling. That would be a claim of this Batman bad idea about Jesus, that faith is nothing more than a feeling. And, and there would also be the claim that the Bible 
doesn't matter anymore. It's not necessary. It was a book that was written. It's got some good ideas, but not even sure it's accurate in the first place. Those stories about Jesus, they, you know, some of them happened, some of them didn't. He said some of those things. He didn't say some of those other things. You don't need to worry about the Bible. And if we're really being honest with ourselves, I think many of us who would walk away and who would say that, that Jesus is God and Jesus is human, and we would say that the Bible is necessary, we would have to admit that we live as if it's not. You know, it's that dusty book that sits on the shelf that we might get out at Christmas time and read a story to for our kids, or, or it's that book that the pastor talks about on Sunday morning, but I don't even know where mine is to look at it throughout the rest of the week. We say it's important, but the, the number of people who, who claim to be Christ-following people and I'm not using this as a way of saying, see, they're not Christ-following people because they're not doing this. I'm just saying the number of people who say that they are Christ-following people who would also say, I have never actually read the entire thing is astounding. See, we, we make the claim, we believe that it's important, but our actions show something different because I'm believing something that Pastor Justin told me on Sunday morning, but I'm not going to take the time to actually go and make sure that it's actually true at some other point throughout my week. So a little bit of this begins to seep into a lot of our lives because it makes things a little bit more convenient. You know, because if Jesus wasn't God, if Jesus was just an incredible human who, you know, had great ideas and he was obviously a pretty marketable person because a lot of people followed him and, and he was obviously a pretty bold person because they took him to the cross for the things that he said, but, but he was still just a person. If that's who he was, then we can still hold on to our truth and we don't have to worry about there being any the truth out there. You know, we hear that statement all the time. Well, my truth is this, your truth is that. We don't have to have a the truth out there if Jesus was just a human. It makes life seem a little bit easier because now I can take Jesus and I can put him into my narrative instead of me needing to go into his narrative. Instead of me fitting into the grander story of everything, instead of me fitting into the story that, that he started and he created because he is God, instead I can take him and I can take bits and pieces of what he said and, ooh, I like that one, that makes my life a little easier, and ooh, I like that one, that one makes my life a little easier, and ooh, I like that one, that one makes that other person's life a little bit harder. Oh yeah, so let's take these things and now we can live by these, we can we can shove him into our narrative and we can live like this. I can do this because he's just a human. He's just a historical figure that lived at some point that we can pick and choose just like we do with any other historical figure that has lived. Todd Miles puts it this way about the convenience of whether or not he's God or he's not God. He says that believing that Jesus is merely human will cost you nothing. That's pretty convenient. Because it makes no difference to me what some guy 2,000 years ago said. You know, we as a country, we argue about what people 200 years ago said, and we say, that was them. 
200 years ago. This is not the same world that they lived in 200 years ago. We don't need to just sit there and say that because they said it, we've got to do it. Well, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, and so if he's just a historical figure, a person, then we can do the same things with his words, and it doesn't cost us a thing. But if Jesus was God, then it could cost us everything. Everything. Because now we have to start taking his words seriously. Now we can't just pick and choose what it is that he told us. And while we're not going to take the time this morning to give the, the irrefutable evidence that I believe is there, and we will talk about it at some point, as to the, the fact that Scripture is true and he is who he says he is, I would like to invite you just for the morning to assume that Scripture is true. And ask ourselves, what, do, what does it say? What do we read in it about Jesus and his divinity, about whether or not he is God? Because if we can read in Scripture that he's actually saying, nope, that's not the truth, that's not me, then we can discard the whole thing and we can move on and we can just live as if he's just a historical figure. But that's not what we see. Because as we read through the Gospels, as we read through the New Testament and the Old Testament, what we see is Jesus making claims about his own godhood. You know, rather than that whole, you can have your truth and you can have your truth and we don't have to worry about the truth, Jesus said in John 14, 6, where we read it, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. There is no your truth, my truth. Yes, there is your perspective. But there is a the truth and I'm it. And that, that is offensive. We don't get to make the gospel less offensive because it makes it easier for people to believe it. He, he said it. And so if we're going to say that that is who you are, then we need to listen to who he said he was. If he said it and he was just making it up, then let's trash the whole thing. Or if he said it and he was just a lunatic about it and he was you know, a maniac who's getting people to follow him, there's value in it. And then what's in there is that he is the truth and the life in the way. And his followers recognized the same thing when he asked them, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? They looked at him and said, we say that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And even the people who killed him, the experts at throwing people up on a cross and taking away their life, looked up at him and said, surely this man was the Son of God. You can read about it. That's what the, the Roman soldier said as he looks up there. Surely this man that we thought was just another putz that we were putting on a cross was actually the son of God. And as you read through what he did, he did things and he said things that only God can get away with. He was there at creation and things were created through him, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and things were created through Him. You and I might be able to invent some really cool things and come up with some cool ideas, but we can't actually create it from the very beginning without something to start with. But that's what He did. 
only God can do that. He forgave sin, and only God can forgive sin. I can forgive you for an offense that you bring against me, but I can't forgive you for what you do against him. But Jesus did, as that man was raised through the, that paralyzed man was lowered through the roof. And Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. The response from the religious leaders that were watching this said, how can he do that? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're right. Only God can forgive sin. But just to prove to you that I'm able to forgive sin, I'm also going to make him walk again. And he promised heaven, he promised paradise to people. I can't sit here and invite you to somebody else's house and somebody else's party. But he did. As he was hanging on that cross and he had two criminals on each side of him, one criminal is hurling insults at him and making fun of him, and the other one is saying, how can you say that? Actually, I'm, I wanna read this for you because there are several things that he says in here. It says, the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your father's kingdom. No. Jesus, remember we, me when you come into. And Jesus looked at him and said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. He couldn't have made that invitation if he wasn't himself God. But why does it matter? Why can't he just be a good person? And the simple answer is because good isn't good enough. We needed God to be the Savior because only God can be the Savior. Only God can fix the problems that we have made. Todd Miles says that that humans have made such a mess of things that only God can fix it. And I'm reminded of when Tegan was a little bit younger, my, our middle child, she's eight years old now, and she was a little bit younger. Tegan was one of those kids that she'd get in trouble, she'd do something that she wasn't supposed to do, and we'd, you know, we'd try and work with her, but, but thanks to the stubbornness that she received from her mother and grandparents and definitely not her father, she would just, she would push back. And she wouldn't just, she wouldn't just say those words that we were trying to teach her to say of, I'm sorry. She wouldn't just recognize that I did something wrong. And so eventually we'd have to, as parents, discipline her and, and we'd send her to her room and she'd go to her room and, and me being the stubborn person that I am, I'd be sitting there going, I'm going to win this battle. And she'd be in her room and she'd be getting more and more worked up the entire time she's in there until she would finally get to that point where, you know, I'm, I'm standing on the other side of the door and Sarah's in there going, you, we gotta go into her, we gotta go. I'm like, no, we're going to win this battle. Until she gets to that point where she's like, ah, and you hear her on the other side of the door, the, ah, 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 and you she can't breathe. On the other side of the door, she had worked it up so big and she had made such a mess out of it by not just saying, well, by, in the first place, just don't do what you're not supposed to do. And if you do it, just say you're sorry. 
but instead she would work it up to something so big that she would be to that point where she could not physically fix it. She could not physically get herself to say those words, I'm sorry, because she couldn't breathe enough to say the words. And so as her father, after the very clear prompting from her mother, I would walk into the room, or Sarah would walk into the room, and we'd have to wrap this child up, the one who did the offense, the one who did the thing that they weren't supposed to do, the one who hurt us, we'd have to go in and wrap her up in our arms. And we'd have to tell her how important she really is and how much we love her, no matter what it is that she did. We'd have to talk it through with her as to why this matters. But more than what you did wrong, we see you. We see our child right now. And eventually, over what could take 15 to 20 minutes, she would be able to calm herself down enough through our prompting, through our support, through us wrapping her up to where she could actually say those words of, I'm sorry. God looked at us and saw people who had messed things up so much and who had built it up so much that we had gotten to the point that we couldn't fix it. He looks at you and he sees how you've messed it up so much that you can't fix it. You may not even realize that you need to fix it. And he looks at you and he sees you and instead of saying, I'm gonna stand on the other side of this door until you figure it out. Through his son, Jesus, who had to be fully God, he opens the door and he pulls us into his arms. And he says, no matter who you are and no matter what you've done, you are my child. You are my child. And I will love you no matter what. I will wrap you up no matter what. And as we finally get to that point where we have calmed ourselves down enough and we're able to, to, to ask for his forgiveness that he's already given us, as we're able to ask for that forgiveness, he doesn't sit there and say, okay, here's the list of rules I need you to live by now. He says, what I need you to do is I need you to go tell everybody else about this too. I don't need you to sit there and tell them how bad they are. I need you to sit there and tell them that their father is ready to help them through. God, we think so many times that it would be so much better if you were someone that you were not, if you were someone completely different. But I thank you this morning that you're not who we want you to be. 
but instead you are who you are. Because if you weren't, Jesus, if you weren't who you say that you are, then we lose everything. We lose your embrace. We lose your forgiveness. We lose everything. Thank you, God, for being fully God and fully human when you came down as your son, Jesus. Amen.